Hello everyone, I'm Elsa Kenya, an adjunct senior fellow with the Technology National Security Program at the Center for New American Security. And I'm Ali Wan, a non-resident senior fellow with the Atlantic Council. And we're talking about the so-called decoupling between the US and China in technology. Ali, why don't you start by walking us through what is going on and why do you have reservations about the term and concept of decoupling? Thanks so much, Elsa. It's really an honor and a privilege to be speaking with you. So. Briefly, uh, last week on Wednesday, Secretary Pompeo announced a clean network initiative, which if undertaken uh, and executed, it would substantially reduce uh, the reach of China's digital influence within the United States. The following day on Thursday, President Trump, Trump issued an executive order targeting two very popular Chinese apps, uh, WeChat and TikTok. And many observers rightly uh, adduce those recent measures as the latest evidence of this so-called decoupling between uh, the U.S. and Chinese economies. But uh, as you know from many conversations that we've had uh, over email and over the phone, I have a number of reservations with the term. I'll just talk about three of them. The first reservation is that, at least as I've seen the term used, it tends to be poorly specified and it gives the impression of a binary phenomena. That is, the U.S. and Chinese economies are either coupled or decoupled. In fact, I think it's more accurate to think of decoupling as a very intricate matrix of outcomes. So the United States and China, they are interdependent across a range of dimensions, trade, technology, finance, education, national security, we could go on and on. And so when individuals advocate for decoupling, I think it's, it really behooves them to specify with granularity how they would recalibrate US-China relations among or across each of those dimensions of interdependence and then to specify which combination of steady state interdependencies they would ultimately recommend. So the first critique is that it's poorly specified. Uh, the second concern I have with the term is that when it's used, it, it tends to contribute to what I think is a misguided perception that with sufficient will, with sufficient forethought, the United States can effectively unilaterally delink its economy from China's. But in fact, the extant number and complexity of interactions between the two economies renders such an outcome, I would submit, uh, next to impossible. And just as evidence, I would point to a recent article in the Financial Times entitled, Why is Silicon Valley so chilled about the Cold War with China? And it details how some of America's most formidable technology companies are quite dependent, inordinately dependent, you might argue, on uh, China's vast market. And then the third related critique that I have is that while there's a lot of political momentum in Washington behind decoupling, I think that some of the discussions about decoupling tend to overshadow a consideration of the economic cost that would be entailed. And I think of the work done by the scholars Henry Farrell and Abraham Newman, who recently argued in an essay for foreign affairs that China's economy and the global economy are like Siamese twins, quote, connected by nervous tissue, common organs, and a shared circulatory system. And so if you accept that metaphor, then attempting to force a comprehensive rupture between the U.S. and Chinese economies could actually gravely harm American national interests. Uh, but enough from me. I, I, I want to turn it over to you, Elsa, and, and really talk about brass tacks and policy and implementation. And my question for you is, when do you think selective disentanglement from China's economy could enhance America's national security and economic competitiveness? And when do you think that recalibration could actually risk overcorrection? Uh, great points as always, and a great question. And as you know, I share those reservations about uh, the notion of decoupling and the implications of the pursuit of policies to that end, uh, sometimes haphazardly and without full consideration of the risks and ramifications. And I would also add another concern about the notion of decoupling and our, and our conversation on it is that it tends to be a historical and we don't recognize mm -hmm. that in some respects these trends 
by far uh, predate recent events and even the current administration, and that some elements of this uh, so-called decoupling arguably had started in Beijing, and including with uh, China's exclusion of American companies and their, their pursuit of indigenous innovation and the capabilities for greater uh, technological independence. So mm -hmm. that we're now seeing a belated reckoning in the United States with uh, the full range of risks and, and benefits that arise with this extent of entanglement and extensive interdependence economically and technologically. And U.S. policy responses do have to be quite careful in balancing the risks and benefits which, within each sector and, and in particular seeking to limit collateral damage to U.S. companies and our overall innovation ecosystem. And this has to start mm -hmm. with identifying what is truly critical to American national security and where some of the dependencies we're seeing could be truly dangerous. And for instance, uh, looking at a dependence on China for active pharmaceutical ingredients in the middle of a pandemic sure. certainly raises some urgent concerns. And uh, going forward, I think there is a need to continue to build upon recent progress and targeted countermeasures to counter tech transfer without pursuing more indiscriminate restrictions that some of the more uh, maximalist proponents of decoupling have argued for. So, for instance, uh, when it comes to education, we've seen these really appalling arguments for the exclusion of Chinese students in high-tech sectors, which would be damaging to American universities and to, to academic freedom, to our principles. And I think certainly there are reasons to have better screening and scrutiny of the foreign students coming to the U.S., including for potential military affiliations, while continuing to welcome Chinese students and immigrant researchers across the board. And I think in, I think in general, this needs to be a risk calculus, which also requires recognition of the benefits. And the answer will differ whether we're talking about uh, AI or 5G or biotech and beyond. And, and we're running out of time, so I'll turn it over to you for a couple of closing remarks and uh, looking forward to continuing the conversation in the future as well, since there is so much to discuss and we've barely scratched the surface in the uh, few minutes we have tonight. No, there is indeed. And, 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 and really, Elsa, you just gave a master class in uh, constructing a carefully calibrated risk calculus or a risk assessment for thinking about how we recalibrate interdependence. And, and, I, and, and to your point, I, I think there, there are very few U.S. observers who would dispute that a reckoning or a recalibration of our myriad forms of interdependence is overdue. But as your comments suggest, we need to do so in a discriminatory fashion, in a discerning fashion, in a disciplined fashion, so that we don't uh, overhaul the relationship, we don't overhaul the potential for a cooperative baseline of communication between the two countries, and that's going to take a lot of work. Indeed.